Okay, so we're starting from scratch. We're gonna we're gonna pretend like the last episode didn't happen, or it's a lost episode. Lost episode. We're gonna burn it. We're gonna the Ashman of history. Much like uh, the Gospel of Thomas, my personal favorite gospel, <laughs> which is the most anti-woman gospel of. Wait, the never all. mind. No, never mind. Not my favorite. Whoops, I forgot. I took. I forgot that one part. I was just thinking about when Jesus made birds out of clay. Mm, that's the infancy gospel of James. Moving I'm sorry, along. gospel of Mary is my favorite gospel. <laughs> At the end of it, she's turned into a man. Dang it, I can't get away from this misogyny. <laughs> it's all Gnosticism, my friend. Sounds like a true 21st century male, if you ask me. <laughs> I miss the 19th century when I was a slave. What did I say about ethnic slurs? All right. Ladies and gentlemen, here we go. We are here to give our thoughts on Star Wars Episode 8, The Last Jedi. We have with us here our good friend, Greg Iwinski. Say hi, Greg. Hi. There we go. Greg's a stand-up, a comedy writer, and he used to have a podcast where he, where he talked about films. And we decided to let him on because we couldn't get anyone else. We had many other guests drop out. <laughs> they Did know who they ever. are. They know. They should feel it. And they, they never ashamed li- of themselves. They're never going to listen to this, so it won't matter. <laughs> <laughs> So I used to review movies, like you said, and uh, also I'm your most hated guest, so I thought it would be great to come back and add to that. Your Everett Fritz. Oh, I know him. Uh, he beat me on most hated? Oh, man, after no, I talk about no. this movie, no, I'm going to no, win no. most hated no. again. You know, you're not the most hated. You're not the most hated. Calm down. You're fine. If anyone's, if anyone's the most hated, I don't know who it would be. So anyways, uh, Greg's our good buddy. Greg has a lot of deep thoughts on art and, you know, <coughs> sorry, whoa, got my whoa. beer caught my throat. That's some good podcast. This, this really is. This podcast is a comedy of errors. Yeah. Holy crap. So that was this so is, weird. If we were all still at Franciscan, they would call this spiritual warfare. <laughs> you know, podcast I actually, like, is thought undergoing that. spiritual warfare right now because <laughs> the devil doesn't want us to talk about Star Wars. <laughs> Because free will doesn't actually exist, and bad things just don't randomly happen. This podcast is as on the rails as a trip to Canto Bite. <laughs> boo! The worst part of the movie. Boo! So let's start off. Let's hey, start off. So, oh well, we need we needed we do need to talk about that when we yes. get into it because uh, I I know why it exists and it's a, a valid reason. Even if okay, fair like enough. It. Luke, you got some cool. ground rules for us today. All right, so here are the ground rules. So. We're- we're going to do our best to just try to keep this tight because we could go off into 10,000 different tangents. We have a few ground rules for all of us here. One, unlike other great podcasts like the Incomparable podcast, uh, we are not going to rehash the plot and just share like what we think. There's a lot of other great podcasts that do that. Instead, we're going to discuss this as like a film, as a work of art on both a macro and a micro level. Uh, two, we have like you guys should all like you guys should all have the questions on you, and we're gonna do our best to stick to a time limit on. So certain ones are for 
two minutes, and then I have a thing where it says then like one minute back and forth. It's just a time where when we do because we do want to encourage conversation, but uh, we just like that keep your responses back and forth to run under under a like minute or as it is stated on the questions you all have. Uh, third part is we also we do encourage discussion because this is a catching foxes episode and the fourth part is this is for all of all like listeners gomer insert spoiler horn here we are going to talk about this film and assume that everyone who is listening has watched star wars episode eight the last jedi if you have not why are you even why are you even like listening that's just stupid or in case you don't care and you just like the sound of our voice, I'll be asking the questions and participating as well. Gentlemen, do we have any questions about these ground rules to keep us in check? Uh, I, I promise no. I will abide by them for the most part. <sighs> Go on. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Okay, so uh, first thing I, I want to ask you guys is um, what really quick, like what? Just keep it under one minute. What is your level? Like, what kind of a Star Wars fan are you? And what was your expectation going into this film? So the way I came into the Last Jedi was number one, a lot of people were pissed off at the Force Awakens because they felt like it was a retelling of A New Hope. And I mean, totally. Whether you're you know you're fine with history rhyming. The reality is they had a lot of nostalgia service that they had to do for the fans. And so I was well aware of that going in, that Ryan Johnson and this new film did not have that burden. So I knew there's going to be a lot of new stuff. And the main thing that I was expecting overall was for it to answer some big questions. So some of the things that I let hang in the air from Force Awakens, I just said, listen, Ray is she's the greatest pilot, the greatest mechanic, uh, the greatest accidental force wielder on the face of the earth, the greatest lightsaber dueler. The first time she ever picked it up, I'm going to give her the credit and just say the next episode will answer it. And so my expectations were that those questions would be answered, and that Ryan Johnson had the freedom to make something definitely his own and kind of distinct from what Force Awakens. I felt like had a lot more expectational debt going into it. So yeah, that's where I would go. I didn't have a lot of expectation going into it because I, both because of how I look at film and also I think because of how I look at Star Wars. In terms of, with Star Wars, it's like, it is my favorite, maybe it's my favorite thing. Uh, not not like I love all the toys and I love all the merch and I, you know, dress up and go to Comic-Con and all. Like, there are people who are nerdy and into it and love it that way and that's fine and I mean, there's so many millions of people that love Star Wars that to say what a Star Wars fan is or isn't is hard because it can be anything. There are kids who are eight who love Star Wars who have seen the movies a few times and then have watched every episode of Rebels and the Clone Wars, and they love Star Wars. So to me, I'm a hardcore fan. Read all the old books, read all the new books, watch the cartoons, watch the movies. I have the original theatrical cuts of the movies on a hard drive so that I can watch them and not have to see the special editions. I can see the way they came out in theaters. I've named a bajillion parts of my life after Star Wars. I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt right now. I saw the movie three times already, blah, blah, blah. I'm very into Star Wars as a place, as a place in our imagination that exists that we can all go to because it's awesome and it's uh, it's cool and it's fun and it's a an amazing, interesting place to be. 
And so because of that, like, I didn't like the prequels. I didn't think they were really great movies, but they're Star Wars. So my liking them or not liking them, thinking they're good or not good, doesn't change the fact that they're what Star Wars is. And Force Awakens being an IP launch, I mean, all, it's all these things, yes, but it's Star Wars. The way that a book is Star Wars, the way that a cartoon becomes Star Wars, that these things are, they're what it is. Because uh, I am a big believer in the objectivity of art, that it's what the artist is trying to say and trying to do. So I went into this movie knowing just about Ryan Johnson that he made Looper, which I thought was good and I liked. But it's not like Abrams, where I know that Abrams has this... Uh, specific style and strengths and weaknesses that I've seen for a decade, and I'm seeing how he's going to mash them up in this universe to make something. This is just a guy who's made one movie that I kind of liked, and this is his shot to say something using this imagination place of Star Wars that I love and know well. And so he has a lot of things he has to carry in terms of doing it well. But to me, it being a good movie was going to be, one, it being a good film, but also it being him having something to say. It wasn't that he had to hit all the boxes I wanted. It was, can this guy use this world that has all these rules and $2 billion worth of Disney pressure and all of this stuff and still tell a real story, make a movie that reflects who he is as a writer and a director. And so I went in with very, very small expectations in terms of what had to happen or what should or what I even expected to happen in terms of story or character development or plot line. So, um, I am a huge Star Wars fan in the sense that I, when I, I don't ever remember a time where I did not love the movies. So I think in a, in a way, the original trilogy really like set the bar for, it was, it was when like those, that's how I learned that I loved movies was those films. And I never really quite got into the whole extended universe or any of the books. I've tried both as a teen and a kid and in my adult life, and it never really clicked. But what I always did kind of like were books that helped inform like past stories. So before all of the prequels, books that just really like almost like an encyclopedia that just kind of said, Hey, here's how Darth Vader became Darth Vader. Like it was on this, it was on the like planet and it was actually Obi-Wan. And I can even, remember a book that said now obviously this has changed that um uncle owen uh and aunt abaru were actually obi-wan a kenobi's his that was his brother uncle like owen and then obviously changed during other or during other prequels but that was where my star wars that's like what my fandom was was i was i just loved those films they were such a huge part of my life a huge and i i just I love them, um, but it was I was not into the whole ex, ex, like universe kind of um, that that stuff at all. So I think I went into this film hoping that um, that the last Jedi would be what the Force Awakens was. I, I I'm sorry, I would be what Empire was to a New Hope, in like in the sense that it build that it would build off of the story told in the film before that would build off of the previous film. So that was my expectation. So cool. Anything else going on? Yeah, I just wanted to say in terms of fanboy status, I have read every single, except for Tarkin, every single new canon Star Wars book that's out there, every single one. 
uh, even accidentally a junior edition book uh, that that I'm listening to, and I'm like, these are awful. And uh, so I have my girls; they're listening to them right now. The Legends of Luke Skywalker, and it's great actually because there are several of the stories that are in this uh, that are in the Jedi, um, the Last Jedi that they kind of reference. So I just wanted to put out my my fanboyism that uh, did affect the way that I went into the movie, but I knew that Ryan Johnson would have it, you know, kind of free reign to do whatever he wanted. How many times did you guys see The Last Jedi? I saw it uh, three times. I saw it opening night, I saw it the next morning, and then I saw it uh, Monday after it came out. I will probably have seen it more, I'll, and I'll probably keep seeing it. <laughs> I ended up, I saw it twice. I was going to wait till this weekend, but after hearing our, our last podcast, I was told by uh, my mom that I should go and see it. So I, I, I saw it on Friday night and then again early this evening. It was so funny because you sent me a text message like, my mom told me to go see the thing. And I was like, oh, no, the podcast. I made her feel bad. <laughs> I know. Because Actually, if you re-listen to the last episode, I kept saying, gross, gross, when you said <laughs> that you were waiting. And I'm like, oh, crap, I shamed his mom. But uh, I got to see it twice as well. I saw it uh, the first time as the kickoff to me and my wife's sexy staycation. And it was awesome because I got the D-box seats, which are like the ones that vibrate and move and all that stuff. And um, and we saw it in the big theater. It was It was great. Uh, so while you're watching the opening scene, the chair is all like bouncing around, and my wife turned down her D box like sensitivity to all the like the vibrations and stuff. She turned it all the way down, and I turned mine all the way up. That's the difference between us. I prefer, I prefer the the immersion. And then I just saw it again the second time to prepare. I told my wife, "Honey, it's a business expense. I have to go and do this." And uh, I actually went to the wrong theater, the whole movie theater, not the wrong screen. But I went across the street, and the guy's like, yeah, this ticket isn't for here. After I'd already bought my popcorn and my soda, so I had to do the walk of shame across the street and walk into another movie theater with popcorn and a soda to get my tickets and be like, hi. And they're like, you can't take that in here. So I felt like an idiot. So, But that was my movie-watching experience, sexually staycation and uh, walk of shame. Walk of as, shame. as you walked across the street, I would like to imagine that the sad – Peanut song was playing in the background. Really quick, uh, what was your guys's overall like? Because uh, we're going to do a pretty, a pretty deep dive into all of this. Uh, what was your overall impression of uh, the Last Jedi? My overall impression uh, was that I liked it a lot. It was I thought it was very good. Every time I've seen it, I've liked it more and found more to like in it. Um, like I said before, it's not to me. It's you know I I can think it's good or bad as a film in the way that it's built and put together. But in terms of what it has to say, that's not really. It's like do I enjoy it or not enjoy it? Not really. Is it good or bad? I thought it was a really well made film. And then on top of that, what he had to say about Star Wars and filmmaking and heroism and all of these themes that we'll get to, I thought was uh, incredible as well. So I I liked it on. All levels, not to say that it's perfect, but I, I really, really enjoyed it. When I first watched it, I, I had a I had a bit of a hard time with it. I can remember about halfway through, I had a thought of there were parts of this that I was just enthralled by that I loved, and there were others that I was like, this just isn't very good. And it wasn't until I really had to listen to a lot of other podcasts and kind of really had to like talk to a few people about it. And, uh, 
and went and watched it again that I'd say my overall impression of the film went from like a C plus to a B plus. And I think, and the thing that I really enjoyed about it was this is the first Star Wars film that has a lot that like sticks, like it's stuck in my head. And I just kept going back to and trying to unpack what I just, uh, what I just, what I just like saw. And so there's a lot to chew on with this one. And for a Star Wars film, I really appreciate that. Uh, for me, I would say my overall impression, first go, I was so excited for so much of it that uh, about 20 minutes into the movie, there was something pulling on me saying, eh, there's something here that's wrong, that's wrong. And there was definitely certain elements of the movie that I didn't like. And I feel like there were so many good parts, like the Ray storyline, the Ray and Luke Skywalker was the best part of it. The main plot was so good that I felt like the bad parts that I didn't like stood out even more. Um, especially the, the scene in the, in the, in the, with the whole casino and the Canto bite. Yeah. Canto bite, which is an audio book coming out soon or whatever. But, um, I felt like that just fell totally flat and it looked worse because so many other things were looking so good. And so, uh, when I first came out of the movie, I walked all the way back to the hotel with my wife and I didn't say what I thought of it. I liked it. I had a good time. I thought it was fun. But when I got back to my hotel, I was like, I don't know. And then as time went on, the more I thought about it, the more I didn't like it. And then I went to go see it tonight and I was like, okay, I know these certain scenes are coming. I don't like them. Let me figure out a way to enjoy them or deal with them. And so kind of my brain's just like, okay, screw this whole chunk. Finn and Rose and their little quirky side adventure, I don't give a crap about. But there was some stuff that I paid attention to that I didn't pick up beforehand. But overall, I think I'm giving it a flat-out A now. But if you would have asked me, I put a gun to my head and said, give me a rating right now, I would have said, I probably would have said a C. Maybe a B- minus at best coming out of it my first viewing. But I feel like that's my story. Like, so many of these superhero movies, I'm like, eh, eh. But this, uh, yeah, that's. I'm just going to stop there because I think some of these later questions pick up why I thought that. I want to say something, too, about what, that I find interesting, which is like what Luke talked about, um, like listening to podcasts, listening to reviews, reading articles. I know the people that I saw it with, um, we were sending, they were, you know, there were all these texts uh, of links to articles of people's thoughts on it. And I read almost none of them. Uh, yeah. And. I mean, I guess everyone can view art or watch things however they want. But to me, it was like, I don't, I saw it. I don't care really what like Slate or Think Geek or whoever, I don't care what these people's interpretation or explanation or case for or against it is. Maybe it's because I spent three years seeing 100 movies a year in the theater and then writing reviews that people cared about, even though I had no idea what the hell I was doing. But it's like, I don't care about all these people's opinions like the rotten tomato score or whatever i i can see it and i can tell you if i liked it or not and then maybe i'll talk to other people that are my friends about it but i i i think it highlights this weird culture that i guess we can get into later but it it's like there is this we have to have this collective internet conversation about is it good which i think is so weird because it's like you should know if you think it's good or not yourself because you saw it 
There, there, like, we, there's not an arbiter out there in Internet land that's going to be the one who tells you whether it was good or not to, like, interpret it for you. You saw it. You watched it, and you experienced it, and you know if you, if you liked it or not. So even now, I've read, uh, you know, I've read interviews with Ryan Johnson, and I've read interviews with the cast and tried to hear more about, like, how, what Johnson was trying to say and was saying be, to match that up with what I thought he was saying to try, you know, to understand that better and, you know, have looked at that in a little bit of film analysis. But in terms of all of these things out there that are like, what does this mean or what is this or what is this really saying or, like, is this thing woke or is this a, an allegory? Like, I just kind of skipped all of that because I I wanted to see the movie. I didn't sign up for, like, a think piece barrage. I wanted to see a movie in a universe that I enjoy putting my imagination in for two and a half hours. Cool. So, all right, um, with all that being said, uh, when we if if we just stick to the story itself, uh, what did you guys enjoy about this about the story of, of the last? I think the best way. Okay, my favorite thing about the story is not going to be like a list. Like we said, I'm not going to rehash. Ooh, this plot point I loved, and I did this. But it's not that. What I love about the story is the way it was told. And the best way I can sum up the way it was told was actually to quote Ryan Johnson, who directed it, uh, from this uh, Rolling Stone piece. So this is short, but it's a quote. I came into it thinking we can't be precious about this stuff. We have to take the toys out of the box and play with them. That means some of them are going to get broken, but we're still doing this because we love them and we love this and we love what it is. We're not here for wish fulfillment. We're here to tell a story. And that means we have to be true to where Luke is at in the story. He's talking a little bit about, you know, that Luke isn't how people thought he would be. But that idea, we have to take the toys out of the box. We have to break things and be risky and take, take you know, take risks and make mistakes and get messy and be Miss Frizzle and do these things to tell this story. Because the point is to tell a good story and make a good movie, not to hit a bunch of nostalgia checkboxes and do wish fulfillment for fans or previewers or those weird blog, like pop culture blogs that look at every frame of a movie and try to predict what's going to happen. It's not for them. It's, it's for him to tell a story. I mean, on the whiteboard when they were making the movie, Ryan Johnson put up there, like, we are making Star Wars 8, The Last Jedi, in case you forgot. Like, we are on a playground every day getting to do something awesome in case you forgot. And what I love about the story isn't just the story itself, but it's that it was free to tell a story when you could have done a very paint-by-numbers or corporate or fan service or all of these things. It's someone using their artistic voice when we're in a giant corporate monopoly of creative voices. Well, let me ask you a question, though. Here's my thing. How do we balance, and I, I feel like I, you already answered it, but let me put it this way. There is a point where this is part of the culture, right? Where the artistic voice is wrong because it violates what we've all culturally appropriated and absorbed and woven into our childhoods. And so what do you say to people who say, I hate what he did because he turned Luke Skywalker into a crazy old man, you know, uh, you know, the cynic who's basically fallen into disgrace and all of this stuff. He ruined Star Wars by burning it all to the ground. Like, what do you say? Like, I mean, there literally is a Facebook group who hates Disney and what they're doing with their childhood so much because of owning Star Wars that the guy, the stories have been uncovered that this guy 
created hundreds of fake bot accounts on Facebook to give all those negative reviews on Rotten Tomatoes, right? You know how there's like such a disparity between disparity between um, the reviewers and the the people who went and saw it. This guy doctored those results. He's bragging about it right now. Right. Because, but what do you think about that? Well, what I, I think that that if it takes a guy creating bots to make the movie look not popular, <laughs> that kind of speaks yeah. to how popular it is. Is that the the backlash against it is an example not of the culture of how we interpret art, but the culture of how we talk about things like we talk about that we're talking about things. A few hundred people build a bot and then drive down Rotten Tomato reviews, and then the entire media analysis culture talks about it. Oh, do fans hate it? Is there a backlash? Like, how many people on the planet like Star Wars? A hundred million. So no, but what I'm saying is, so the idea of how many people are upset. It only takes 10 to be a trending topic on Twitter, and then everyone says, oh, me too, and I'm upset. So the idea of how we don't have an actual gauge of how many people are upset. We know that it made $500 million in five days and that critics really like it and that what's driving the reviews down are a bunch of angry bot-making, like, super nerds. So we know that there's a giant, like, that it's very popular, so the idea that there's these people who are mad, yes, have you met nerds? They'll always be mad. They'll be like, oh, that color of Gandalf's staff is actually off-white, and it should be brilliant white. I know because I am a Dungeons & Dragons, Magic the Gathering, Final Fantasy-playing nerd. I know that. There are people who will always be mad because they believe they have ownership of art they didn't make. You don't think that Luke Skywalker would turn out this way. That doesn't matter because you don't affect Star Wars canon. You didn't get paid to write a book. You didn't get paid to be in a movie. You didn't get paid to make anything. No one gave you the authority to do that. You are a fan. Right. So what I'm when saying you don't is ha- when I'm you don't have ownership you. of art, then you have no room to complain that it didn't line up with your imagination. And what I'm saying to you is what do you think the people who have ownership of art, namely a mega corporation, what is their duty well, he, for fan service, right? So I'm not saying, and that, that that's what I mean in the wider sense, because obviously The Force Awakens had to carry a lot of that expectation. See, I think death. they did that with The Force Awakens. I think what they did that's so brilliant with this yeah. story compared to all the Marvel stuff, which I still think is I, – I love what the Marvel universes do. I, I hate it when people complain about how they have to fit them all into the same universe because I'm like, well, then don't watch these movies. That's not what – like they're supposed to be in the self-contained world, and that's what makes it fun. And now I love when they play like with, with different like genres and stuff. I think that's totally fine. But I get annoyed with this complaint that, oh, it's got to fit with like everything else. Yeah, because it's a Marvel film. But what I think – what I, I'm really impressed me about this story was that they took Star Wars to a place that um, they made it interesting and they made it real and it and it was not just hitting beats to hit these to like hit these beats. It was like it had weight to it, and I think they did a really good job. Where in the Force Awakens, they hit all the things that you really kind of wanted them to hit, and then they said, "Okay, now we're going to do our thing." And it was, and it's uncomfortable. But I, I, I don't. I think they. I think there's a there's a balance within, the, especially within fran within franchises that span. That's that like span like decades. You do have to respect, like 
expectations and stuff, but you also have to keep it going. And that's what I think the story did so well was that they kept it going in a way that carried a punch. Let the past die. Kill it. If you have to. And to and to, and Gomer with that, like a corporation. They, their only obligation is to make money for their shareholders so that they have quarter-over-quarter quarter growth, you know, year-over-year year quarterly growth, and they keep making money. That's the job of a corporation. But Star Wars goes back and touches on, like, Lucas, who's this notoriously anti-studio guy who fights with them tooth and nail over and over again and eventually leaves because he's like, they mess up every, like, they get their hands in it and mess up. And they made seven as this uh, this relaunch, and people come out of it going, "Well, hope like you know the kind of thought I had was that was very fun, and it was cool to see it again, and it's a great launch, and it's a fun ride." But I hope the next one is a movie, and not the launch of an intellectual property. And this yeah. was a movie, and the same way that the first two Star Wars movies are just George Lucas doing what he wants to do. I think that they, I think that beyond the corporation, Ryan Johnson owes nothing. To the fans, other than to make sure that the rules of the universe aren't broken. And the rules of the universe are not, Luke has to be this way. The rules of the universe are, a lightsaber is this long and then ends, unless you invented a way that it's long. You know, like, the rules of the universe are, this planet exists or does not exist. This is called a Star Destroyer. And he follows those rules. I mean, now you look back in Rogue One, when they're in the, the freaking vault, she talks about hyperspace tracking. So they seeded in Rogue One a year ago the idea of hyperspace tracking so that it's justified in this movie. That's how connected the story team is. But they love it. But that's my I guess that's my thing that I keep seeing all these people are like arguing for or against or whatever as if they have any ownership. I make things. You make things. Right. My whole life and job and way I make money is making things. And art is made by artists, not by the audience. I don't care what you think should happen in Lost or should happen on The Flash or should happen in Star Wars or The Fast and the Furious or, or whatever weird property you're into. Your opinion doesn't matter. The opinion of the person making the art matters. So when people say Luke wouldn't be this way, blah, 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 who, who gives a shit what you think? That's your so in, in the time between. Greg, you are so angry. In, in the time between, because I think that this because to get all churchy on you and your churchy podcast, this ties uh. in to the to a cult this cultural problem. This idea that I live in my own little universe and everything must warp around my interpretation. I sat there and since 1983, Luke Skywalker hasn't been on film, but I know what he did. I know the way it should go. I'm the ultimate authority. So when it doesn't go that way, I'm mad. This is a lot like the same people who are like. Mass should be like this. And the Pope says no, but he's wrong because I'm a genius who knows exactly how litter should be. Shut the f*** up. You and a Star Wars fan and whatever weird thing you're in, you have no authority and no ownership. But we're in this culture of because I'm a fan of something, because I'm rabid about it, because I'm on a message board about it, I somehow think I have any authority or power or say-so in how something goes. You don't. If you want to have say-so in something, make something. Step up, get off your couch, get out from behind a laptop, and go make a thing that then you have ownership of. That's the most frustrating thing to me about this. They could have made Luke into anyone in the world, and that's who he would have been because that's what Star Wars is. None of that bothers me. I do think that Ryan Johnson went a super logical way in, in what it is like to be this savior of the galaxy and then fall from grace. I thought that every the choices he made were logical and human and complex and made sense. I thought they were great. But that's just me agreeing with the vision he had. 
So the thing that upset me isn't the direction it went or doing those things or even going off to Canto Bight for a fun Star Wars Rebels adventure. It wasn't those. It's this reaction from people that I see, you see it on Twitter all the time, that every piece of art that's made now, people who watch it, believe that their voice matters when ultimately it's totally inconsequential. So with all that being said, what did you not like about the story? <laughs> no, and, 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 and I, like, I just want to add this, like, Greg, I, th- I think you are, actually, there are two quick things that I, I want to add. One, I loved the part when Luke used his legend to his advantage at the end, where he kind of owned it. And when when he walked out and when he met yeah. the when he met the first order head on, my thought I, I this is so this is probably because I knew we had this podcast coming up, but I had this thought of there's the boy from Tantooine. Like there's Luke Skywalker coming out of his brokenness, going to face this head on and owning who and what he is for the greater good. Yeah, I, I just I thought that was so beautiful and so fantastic. Um yeah, and he was younger looking and clean he looked, cut, yeah, he, and mm-hmm. you know he walked out with all the right and robes like he, on, and, and his feet yeah. didn't move the snow. Yeah, when you see it. The well, you know time. it was weird because like, and I really yeah. did. I I just like loved this part that the way that they shot that from like I I liked that it. it was his like silhouette. It was his silhouette, and he just he looked like an he looked like someone from Tantooine. Like he just looked like it was it was so interesting. So um. And then it's kind of like other part as when I say, like, what did you not like about the story? I just mean the story. Like, just, just, is there any part of the story itself that you're like, meh, I wasn't really into that. It's not a. I have two. I have two. One. Also, this is the most beautifully shot. Star Wars I, movie. I agree a thousand Theory. percent. Hands I mean, down. It is. It, it's yeah. his shots Hands are incredible. Down. All the way yeah. through. It is. Abs- and so the trilogy that they gave him to do his own story. I will be there day one first showing because I am so interested to see what else he does in this universe. But in terms of what I did not like, everyone hates Canto Bite. It's the new whatever. And I just want, I, I don't love it. I've seen it three times and I don't love it, but I want to defend it in terms of why I think it's in there. We're old, sad men <laughs> who are doing a podcast in our closets all around the country right now, but not everyone who likes star Wars is that person. Some are children. Some of you have children. Uh, and, if you look at the Star Wars universe, a kid grew <laughs> and up. Children in, love gambling. Yes, but if you but if, and horse racing. But if you look at the structure of that story, it is incredibly similar to the way that both the Clone Wars cartoons and Star Wars Rebels mm-hmm. do stories. The the getting arrested, but it being low stakes and immediately being out, meeting a weird side character, going on a fun adventure race, even the way that they talk, you know, like the needle lift, haha, that happening twice, and all of this. It's incredibly similar structure-wise to Star Wars Rebels, and I think that that's on purpose yeah. in that that is easily the most accessible to a kid who doesn't have an attachment to Luke Skywalker because they were born in the year 2000 or 2010. And so they don't have an emo- – when emotional scenes are happening that are making me cry between Luke and Leia, that's two old people from a couple movies they watched. But watching two young people who have no, you know, who are running on this crazy big adventure and going on races and ducking in tunnels and getting shot at and escaping, that's something that they can immediately identify with, with characters that they can latch onto because they're new. And I think, although to me, it felt incredibly prequely, not necessarily because of the structure, but because of the 
oh, war profiteering, they're the true yeah. criminals. I wish I could put my fist through this whole beautiful, lousy planet. I was like, this is very yeah. Lucasy. It was the little kid, woo, 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 mm-hmm. like doing the, like, screenshot. Oh, when that little kid did that, I was like, oh, my God, a pod <laughs> race is about to happen. And I, 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 said, I leaned one. over yeah. and I said, this is pod racing. And so, <laughs> I will, so it, it's, <laughs> yes, clearly, <laughs> clearly it's, it's a weak part of the film. But you're lifting so much else in the movie that I go, okay, yeah. And, and also, I do really think it was about reaching out. I think take a kid to it and see what they thought about that. If it if it was exciting and if it was engaging, if it was all those in the midst of all these things that if I was six, watching Kylo Ren brood and smash an elevator might not be as exciting to me as watching a bunch of uh, animals mm-hmm. smash up a giant casino mm-hmm. with aliens and in it. I, I, I think um, so, so that's, that's my defense sure. oh, of no, that before go, I got go. to the things that I don't go. like. Okay. Um, things I don't like or things that were weird to me. There are very yeah. few aliens in this film. Mm. And, I, and I'm not going to mandate because maybe Ryan Johnson is like, yeah, the first order killed them all. I don't know. But even in the rebellion, which is like the home of diversity, it's where like we're not racists killing aliens and enslaving Wookiees. Like even there, I think there's two or three aliens left. And in the casino, there's some, but everywhere else, it's a very human-centric world. And that was weird to me just because it, I never, I didn't see where, those, where that had been justified or made sense. And so it's not that I go, oh, it's wrong. It's not how it's supposed to be. I just thought it was odd in a world that has so many, in a universe that has so many aliens, how few aliens were in it. That, that was odd to me. Um, that's like my most nerdy, like, hmm, weird. The other thing that uh, I guess the only, like, I think Finn gets a little left behind in this movie. I think uh, I'm particularly, because I'm black and I want there to be a cool black hero in Star Wars, I'm like, I really want Finn to be cool. And after The, F- the Force Awakens, I didn't, I didn't say they did Finn badly. I just said, Finn sucks. Finn is Luke. Finn is Luke Skywalker. He whines, he gets lucky, and, he bi- and he's kind of like a whiny baby. You know, Luke gets one shot up. That's why I think I like Finn and Luke so much. <laughs> but see that's but like so I, I look at him and I go Ray isn't Luke Finn is Luke Finn is like spending most of the movie getting lucky he wins his fight in this movie with a cheap shot he doesn't win his fight she looks the other way and he hits her in the face like he does it and he, then he gets a bajillion people killed because of his dumb plan like Finn still sucks and I hope that at the end of the next movie at the end of whenever his story is that he is awesome. But maybe he's not. And maybe that's just how the world works. Not everybody is an amazing hero. Some people kind of bumble through and suck. But he was he wasn't boring. He wasn't anything to me. It's that his arc, at the end of his arc, he's finally come around to being like, I'm a rebel and I'm willing to sacrifice, which is funny because Everyone else in the movie, especially Poe, has been like sacrificing yourself is really stupid and gets a lot of your friends killed. So maybe we should be smarter. So he just gets by the end of it, he gets to where Poe started. But, you know, I think he's coming. This is why I think his arc isn't done, because he's coming from a place where his hatred of the First Order is more. It's I I would almost say it it is more personal than everyone sans Leia and Luke and Han like and perhaps like more so than them because they like he was in the machine 
he was um, taken from a home that he that you know he never knew and just plugged into this. And for him, he just all he sees is this thing that has just you know controlled and has destroyed his entire life. He never even had a chance, and now he finally like has one, and he's just consumed with one. He's scared. He's basically consumed with his fear of them and his hatred of them. And so when I totally agree, I just think we don't. It's the movies are already long. And it seems like that's what there isn't enough time for. Yeah. In both yeah. movies. It's like, and it wouldn't be a great movie if it was three and a half hours long. It would be too long. But it's like, the, yeah. he, his story keeps being the one that like, ooh, I would love some deleted scenes that give me some more juice into his yeah, journey. Like, I think that for me overall, uh, the thing that I did not like the most about the story was, I, I love Finn and Rose, and I love their friendship in the story. They kiss. Um, ooh, more than a friendship? Uh, well, number one, that was a non-consensual kiss imposed by Rose on him. Uh, it was a total surprise. As something was exploding. Um, <laughs> as, as you something do. was exploding, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As you do. That was my first kiss, too. Um, but the the thing that I, I, like, you could literally have taken that whole chunk out of the movie of the whole casino scene. You could have taken that whole thing out of the movie, and it probably wouldn't have affected the plot at all. And whenever you have things like that, even if you're doing, okay, so they're not doing fan service, they're doing children's service or whatever, I feel like um, it's gone too far off the rails and needed to be reined back in. And the fact that they try, I feel like they tried to do that by bringing back Phasma, another character who you don't give a crap about in The Force Awakens. You see her two, maybe three mm-hmm. times, or three or four times. She has more screen time than Boba Fett does. Yeah, which and is he's fair a enough. huge character. Fair enough. And she's a huge character. I just finished her book. Uh, but I, I still think there's week, no real reason to the, have her there. Like, there was no reason for any of that. Of that. Well, I mean, yeah. she would be on. It, that's it, the ship she would be on, though. She's going to be anywhere. Well, she's going to be on the giant. No, but she plane. is the focus of his hate of the First Order. Yeah, that's true. She personifies yeah. it. Yeah. And so if, if your story is about him. But I want to I want to push back just a little bit on 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 the thing about, like, I know that they are like, yes, they're doing the kid fans or whatever, but without that storyline, that storyline gets two important things across. There, I finally got back to my point, all that rambling. The two things are, one, it's the only time we go outside of this little world. It's the only time we go off planet, we see that the world is still like, what is the world like with the First Order? Are we all just cowering in fear like, oh, this war? No. A bunch of places are still just basically living like normal, and life is going on, and there's some war happening somewhere, but basically keep our heads down and work on the grindstone and just live life. And that is important to know. It's important to know that there are people out there who are thriving under the First Order, even if they're doing it for bad reasons. So that, I think, is important. But the other reason it's important is because it it brings up – because then – the idea that rushing into battle with a laser sword is stupid isn't just one person or even two. It's Poe and Luke and Ray and Finn. And it's a message that the whole movie is sending, which is thinking you're Joe Hero, Luke Skywalker, and you're going to waltz in and save the day is stupid. And it will get your friends killed and it will lose you the war. And, and so his story in going and doing an adventure that at the end... The entire casino thing is important because it was worthless. It was less than worthless. It got people killed. They got people. Poe and Finn both got hundreds of people killed. 
And that weight, I think, is what you get. You you move forward so that at the end there is something to to play with. Can I tell you something else I hated? Very, very. This is the nerd in me rearing his uh, ugly head. So I love hard science fiction, the type of science fiction that goes on and on about the physics and goes on and on about the military stuff, goes on about flying no, like Star in Trek. space. Oh, it's, it's, no, no. Uh, Star this, Trek is this, not isn't a, this is not a science fiction movie. It's a space western. I didn't know if you were aware of that. <laughs> no, fair enough, but it's still sci-fi. So when you think about it from this perspective that drives me insane is how when they're in space and they do space fights, suddenly it becomes World War II fighters and bombers. Yeah, it's almost like the first movies set that standard by copying <laughs> World War II footage. I, I know, and so it drives me nuts that it all... But the thing that killed it for me was a bomber? They have bombers dropping these little bombs in space. and I was that, like, like, didn't, that didn't um, bother me. But what what kind of took me out of it was when they like Leia in space, and then she just didn't instantly die. And I've heard you know that, that uh, Jedi could turn yeah. into Mary Poppins. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all. Yeah, and it was just because it just was kind of like I mean I don't know if she's a Jedi or not. I I, I like that they imply that she has force powers. I think that I mean, which has kind of been there. She's always had a a connection and stuff. I mean, that, and like dude, that, that's but... Darth Vader's kid. No, I, I, I agree, but like just all of a sudden, because I honestly thought when that happened, because I heard that they had like they thought that um, I just I because Kira Fisher died. When that happened, I went, oh my gosh, they're going to take her out yeah. that early? I thought they didn't change anything. Like, you know, it just and really. See, that's what I thought was brilliant was they knew. He knew that you were going to go, oh, yeah. okay, she was really dead. Because, and yeah. Even, yeah. But yep. also, I think that he took advantage of that. I, this is really weird, but I think that Guardians 1 is what opened the door for that to be believable. I thought the same because thing because it the looked exact like same that. thing. Yep. Yeah, because you yep. go, oh, okay, someone can't. Someone in a magic universe can live in space for like a minute and a half because Star Lord did it, and so Gamora. I think and Gamora. Oh yeah. Well, and even exactly. like even like the way because obviously like space is really cold. Like the way that like icicles started to form on their face and stuff or whatever was the exact same way it happened in Guardians. Yeah. So I think I, I, that didn't bother me. What I was thinking was like, oh man, that's Vader's kid. She can. You know, she's finally calling in the force powers. Yeah, no, I would. I mean, like, I get it, and but I just, I had to make that mental a connection in my head. Like, oh, she's gonna use the force now. Okay, it it didn't feel very unnatural. Which I mean, which could be the yeah. point. I don't know. It's it just, it just, it took me At out of the movie. At the same time, I think it would be hard because you go, well, what? It, let's say that. Okay, so how is she gonna get herself back in the spaceship? Anyway, there's not a lot of ways that don't look awkward for you to fly mm-hmm. through space back into a spaceship. You're going to go feet first, head first. I mean, like, what? It all looks weird. Yeah. Because you're flying through space. Yeah. So. No, I agree. I agree. Just to let you know, you have about 15 seconds of survival yes. in space. I, but that's the, But, okay, hard sci-fi guy. It's like, yeah, we also made light stop at the end of a lightsaber. So... <laughs> Uh, no, the kyber crystals uh, from the heart of a star. You see, they uh, special vibration. Uh, yeah, exactly. Okay, bombers dropping bombs. They're magnetized, bro. <laughs> also, mass. The the dreadnought has larger mass. So it, I did not works. like mm-hmm. that. I forget the name of the character, but 
the new admiral or whoever it oh, it was Laura Dern's character who has age and that I'm Hondo sad. yeah Hondo I didn't Hondo. like she just Holdo. didn't yeah. tell Hondo, everyone Hondo. the plan I'm like just say we have a planet here we're gonna like we're going to cloak these ships and we're good like yeah. Yeah. I think but I I think you missed I think that was the lesson that was the whole uh, to me that was another thing that he's saying in this movie is guess what hotshot you don't get to know the plan not everyone gets to walk into their boss's office and go hey what are you doing tell me everything i need to know like especially in the military it's like hey idiot you just got 40 people killed in a stupid ass plan okay, that we told you not that, to yeah. do maybe we don't tell you the plan now cuz you should learn your lesson that you're not hero guy you need to shut up and get off my bridge because if i don't tell you the plan you're going to pull a gun on me I definitely shouldn't tell you the plan now. That was well, the best. The best part of her character was that it broke the trope of like, ooh, is she a traitor? She's not a traitor. If you look at the story from her point of view, she's an amazing military commander who gets rid of a mutinous subordinate and then sacrifices herself in a genius way to save her people. No, no, it's true. I get that. It just would have been a lot. I just I don't see what the harm is in telling everyone here's the plan. That's. I mean, I I, I totally agree with what you're saying. I mean, I, I get it, but. Ooh, this is good. Good job, everyone. And one of the things I was going to say, one of the things I was going to say that I think is so perfect about the way Ryan Johnson did this movie was that think of the last scene of The Force Awakens as she's handing him Luke the, the on the island, handing him the lightsaber, and he's about to grab it, right? And the camera spans around the island for 20 or 30 minutes. Will he grab it? Will he not? And it, it, to me, that was a perfect way to end that movie. And the way he starts the first 10 seconds of their interaction, I think, sets the tone for the whole movie. Like, he grabs it and then throws it over his shoulder and walks away. And she's just like, wait, what? Like, that's what he does over and over again. He plays constantly with your expectations of, well, this is what Star Wars is, kind of going back to our first greg's first yelling and uh this is what star wars is this is what it should be this is what should happen and he's like nope not gonna do this nope not gonna have it this way you know all this stuff and they do that consistently so where the hotshot pilot ends up having to suppress actually he causes a lot of damage and then because of that okay now he has to learn how to be a leader and all this other stuff and it's it's you just see that happening over and over again throughout the movie like how what's his name uh with ray's character like everything that she believed and that they played with you if you watched see i'm the opposite of you greg i watched every single trailer i don't read about spoilers but i watch the trailer and how they use the trailer with the movie to mess up every one of your ideas i thought was awesome and see when we on next on your notes i saw luke because you're talking about themes like that's the thing is i think Johnson has these specific themes, and one of them is that your expectations don't matter. As an audience, as a Star Wars fan, as Rey handing Luke the lightsaber, as her expecting Luke to come back, Leia expecting people to come to their aid from the distress signal, everyone's expectations can be shattered. And so it, he's, it, I think he's, that's part of the big theme like, there were a few really big ones, but that was one of the biggest, which is that, like, what you think should happen, the way you think it should go, no one owes you that, and it might not go that way. Yeah, this is— But I think the other— the... I'm sorry, no. Keep going. So, the, But the, uh, the, other, the other one was—and and I think people are getting 
online, I think, are getting hung up about religion and, and in the discussion of Jedi is that it's like it's some sort of allegory. But I think what he's talking about is he's treated he takes the movie and the world seriously in a movie that's kind of a comedy. And that's what's so interesting in the idea that like Luke's lessons are like to say that if the Jedi die, the light dies is vanity. The Jedi's legacy That's my is hypocrisy. Favorite part. Like, favorite and the thing part. I wrote down the third time I saw it was, you don't own the Force. When he asks Rey what the Force is, she says it's a power that Jedi have. That the Force is owned by the, that it's a power. It's not. And I think that's the, the, that's when he talks about balance and all these, all of these things. Like, one of the most beautiful messages of the whole movie, the thing that treats it seriously and adult and makes sense of it, is that, like, the force is huge, and all these names and constraints that you're trying to put on it, if you te- take it seriously, naturally you arrive at a place where you're like, none of us have ownership. So even Kylo, who I agreed with more than anyone else in the movie, it, you know, this idea that, like, burn all of this down. This is all just constructs that we've made. All of these names and arguments and fights, this is all stuff we've built. But we don't own the force. We don't control the force. We don't control destiny. We're, you know, it can be anything. And that, I think, was such an important message in the world of Star Wars, but also was an interesting reflection on the fandom itself. That theme was one of the things that I think had made some fans upset. But I think if you take it seriously, is one of the most refreshing and amazing and emboldening things that it could have done. I loved the idea that uh, the force is back to being more mystical and magical than it is being midi-chlorians. You know, they've completely steered away from that because that was such a hated thing that the prequels did. But there is this very strong tendency in Americanism to want to, and I think we talked about it before, maybe with Ragnarok, where you want to demythologize all the mystical stuff. Well, really, the vampires are just allergic to garlic and you know, like crosses don't work, like in Blade and all that stuff. But there's this element where I felt like they restored it to its like religious setting. And I'm not saying this as a religious, but, but I, I like that better. I, I was listening to an atheist the other day. He was talking about like he prefers the force to be mystical. Or this was a year ago. He prefers the force to be mystical and not like a scientific thing. Like kind of the cool thing is here are these like loner Jedi that are out there that by their devotion to their religion – they are in tune with the force and ooh, isn't that cool? And and then when you're like, well, they're just really susceptible to it because of a midi chlorian count and blah blah blah. I think they did a great job kind of re and, and the same with Rogue One, right? I'm one with the force, the force is with me. He's praying a mantra and like all this stuff. I do like that. I like that shift away from let let it stay a myth. Let it stay. Well, mystical. and I think the universality yeah. of it, because some, there's a theme in this movie as well of the idea of like legacy and uh, nobility and royalty versus a hero called out of nothing. When the first time you see A New Hope, Luke is not the mighty Skywalker, son of Anakin. Blah, he's, he's just a kid on a shitty dirt planet, you know, who's like kind of whiny. And then all of a the sudden they're like, hey, you're going to save the whole galaxy, kid from nowhere. And that's. So at the heart of, I think, what when you first meet Star Wars, it's not about family. And then it becomes the Skywalker saga. Nine films about one family that happens to always be at the center of the universe. The ultimate royalty. Everyone is connected. Ray has to be part of a family because it's all family. And there's this 
theme against it where you're like, no, raise nobody. Luke used to be nobody, raise nobody. The kid at the end is nobody. But he has the force because the force is everyone's. It is a, like, it is this, it is not egalitarian. It belongs to all of us. The way that those, you know, that, yes, that the temple guards from Rogue One or the Dathomir Knight Sisters or anybody has the force, they all have it. It is not the Jedi and the Siths to own. It is all of ours. And reasserting that, I think, is so important as you tell more stories, because not everyone has to be a Jedi to be special or important. Not everyone has to be a Skywalker to matter in the story. Well, and that's what um, I think, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to kind of um, tie this into the next question, but that's what I loved about it, this film was that one of the themes was, it's not about you. This is so much bigger than you. You know, and I think even like Luke has a resigned himself to the fact that I really screwed up, but this is bigger than me, you know, and like perhaps the best thing for this is to just like for this part, this whole Jedi thing to just stop because look, I mean, he even goes into it, he says it brought about dark, like, like Darth Sidious and the fall of the empire. I'm sorry, the fall of the uh, Republic and all these things that like the bureaucratic nature, like one of the things that, I mean, this is just me completely projecting onto this. And so this is. But was I was so like man the way he's talking about the, about the Jedi reminds me of of like really stuffy priest and the bureaucratic nature of the church at times, you, you know, and like even those really like weird like like aliens who like helped him out on the planet like those remind me of like nuns who just want to help and just keep things going just like keep this like who think that like this like. These like yeah, 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 like were, frog yeah. Nuns. yeah, like like these like buildings are more important than you, Ray. Like the fact that this thing exists and just keeps going is is important, and it's not about like it's not it's not like yours uh, to tarnish. I thought that was so interesting, and just it really. Uh, I think this film more than any other Star Wars film ever was a really challenging you to think, and you have to you have to chew on this, and it, and, it's, and it's like it is such a meta. Yeah. film and i loved that part I, I thought that was so cool so like with with all that i want to give you guys a quote uh, can i give you a real quick yeah. quote about what you just said he said uh jacob hall in uh writing for slash film.com talks about why the last jedi doesn't care what you think about star wars and why that's great he said um luke skywalker loomed large but in the end he was just a bitter old man with a chip on his shoulder Snoke loomed large, but in the end, he was just a vicious old bastard whose backstory is unimportant and who gets stabbed in the back by his angsty student. And I just think this isn't about father and son anymore because of Ray. You know, she she interjects and it's like, you know what? We don't care about her parents. This is, is in a very strong way. This is about well, young versus mm-hmm. old, right? This is. This is the rise of millennials yeah. in a baby yeah. boomer mm-hmm. universe. And, totally. And, and you see all of this stuff and... And you can kind of like just what you guys were saying. Number one, Ray, while the 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 little nuns taking care of the Jedi, um, the Jedi temples and houses and all that stuff, Ray is the one who keeps destroying them, right? And uh, you know, towards the end where she actually fights Luke Skywalker, um, she's the one that obliterated one of the mm-hmm. entire buildings and all this stuff. And and you think of that, and it's like this young person's like these things serve a purpose, but it's not our purpose isn't to serve these things. Like, and, uh, yeah, I like that. Like, okay. I think I'm that, good. like, this film says something. And I think one of the things that it says is that 
where you are, where you come from is important, but it does not define who you are. Now, I, I really don't mean that in terms of like creation. So I'm not, so again, like I, I just, you know, just kind of saying that if you're, um, if you are the son of Hitler, that doesn't mean that you become Hitler. And I think, um, and I think that's one of the things that is saying that just because you have these power, like, I, I don't know if this makes, I just had a, I had a great point and I lost it. So I hope that, I don't know if, the, I'd be curious to get your guys' like take on that. Like, I really, this just this idea that one of the things that this film is starting to say is that Skywalkers are not the only people who are important when it comes to the Force and the Empire and the Rebellion. And like, and just because you're not a part of that or you, like that sorry damn i had a great point and i freaking lost it um i think it's i think the film was trying uh, to say that where you come from does not determine your fate or who or who you ultimately can be like you have free will i think one of the interesting things about about the movie is that for so long uh, movies did that don't have something to say. Everyone can, everyone can project what they believe it means, what it's saying, all those things. And then when a movie does have something to say, that creates a different dynamic. Where then our question isn't what did it mean to me? What did I think it was saying? It's what was he saying? What was it saying? And I think that's one of the beautiful standards to set as we go forward because, like Ryan Johnson talked about, he's going to write and direct the first of his trilogy, but he wants to have a female director for the second or the third or both movies. You know, you see, like, with Wonder Woman, the difference that's made with having a female director and that eye and that voice and that vision. And so to have more diverse voices, not just so that Disney can hit a checklist of diversity, but to have different kinds of people who come, like like you said, Luke, that come from different places and backgrounds, have different last names and different cultures, to have them get to tell a story in the universe. If we are setting a standard where the person telling the story gets to tell their story, that is a great place for us to be as we launch into these. Because in, in this movie, to me, feels like an ending. Yeah, it fe- this this is an empire and it's not really Return of the Jedi, but it is in the term that like it ends at a real satisfying place where you're like, well, we're back where we started. There's a tiny rebellion and there's some bad guys who are really powerful and some people who are just kind of trying to figure it out and save the world. And then there's a bunch of nobodies on planets who hear rumors about a rebellion and a bunch of them are like force sensitive kids and they just want to be free. And we've wrapped it up in this beautiful way that lets whatever comes next kind of launch off on its own. So, okay, with all that being said, in that, you know, context, like what does this do to the saga? So by that, I just mean, I mean, really the only the only real example we have of this is um, – is Rogue One, but like discount Rogue One, discount the Han Solo film, just episode one through eight. How does this, if anything, change it, impact it, enhance, enhance certain parts, take away other parts? Like what's the effect of this film? The effect, I believe on the, on the main saga of, of Star Wars. 
I think that if you look at them as three sets of movies made in three different decades and eras and by different companies, this is the most mature. They get increasingly more mature. They get more less kid friendly in the but they also get more serious and the villains that start with Dooku and Grievous and these like cartoony psycho villains that are better as action figures than as people. And then it goes to Vader who, yes, he's complex, but he's really a monster until like the last 90 seconds of his life. He's like a guy who would torture his own daughter. Uh, And then we finally, and I think slash film was the one that talked about this. Um, Then we get a guy who's interesting. We've talked about this whole thing. Kylo Ren is incredible because he's not the cheap take on a hero where he's or a villain where he's all bad, but he's also not the second cheapest take where he's like this like anti-hero Batman-y like, oh, everything, the whole system is corrupt and I'm just cynical. He's not cynical. He's totally earnest and genuine. He believes he's going to save the galaxy and make things good. And he, he... he has faith and belief and emotion, and he's trying to figure out what to do. And we get to watch that struggle. I mean, Adam Driver is incredible. I agree. I, I have this whole thing. I have this whole thing where I think that you could remake the prequels well, even if you didn't change the script, if you change the actors and the direction. It would be better to redo the script, yes, but you could make those good. Because if you imagine Adam Driver doing that speech about how much he hates sand because he came from Tatooine because it's so rough. Like, you imagine him doing it, and you're like, yes, I am on board. Sand is terrible. I understand this is a metaphor. Oh, you're so brooding and, like, deep and conflicted. You know, like, Anakin should play, or, you know, he should go back and play Anakin. We'll just give him some prosthetics and redo it. Like, Kylo Ren is the most interesting, engaging, complex theater or, or character that that we've seen in Star Wars, I think, especially on the villain side. And... I think what it sets up is is that we get to see what he does in another movie. But again, we plunged into a into a character that isn't just scary and isn't just bad and isn't just powerful, but that we don't really know. He's enigmatic, not because he's supposed to be so vague and obscured, but because he's really on a knife edge. He's stayed on a knife edge for now two movies where he'll kill a bunch of people and smash up an elevator and lie, you know, and kill his own master but then he like almost kills his mom but doesn't but then lets her get killed by other people like yeah. he's so conflicted in a way that's actual conflict and not just constructed conflict and so to me that it, it's like yes all the other themes we've talked about but what it, it opens up the possibility of seeing a story of a character who's the most complex so far and i also liked benedicio del toro's uh the the unnamed codebreaker one of the things i liked about his character is he's kind of like the Lando Calrissian, uh, and he had a you know, alternate in this universe, and but he's the opposite, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, represent. Um, but he, he, uh, Lando betrayed everyone, but then redeemed himself by then betraying the Empire and then becoming a part of it. This guy doesn't, right? So it's like everything you think is gonna happen, Ryan Johnson flips it on its head, right? So you think, okay, well maybe he's gonna at the end you know he's gonna pilot the machine and in fact when they're about to be killed and then the walker starts firing i thought maybe it would be him doing the firing like he felt bad that would be a star Mm -hmm. wars rebels turn like you gotta make the guy you can't make him evil and and his whole thing is i'm not a part of either side i'm just here to make money and then my one of my favorite lines was when um finn then yelled like um 
you know, there is a right and a wrong side, and you're on the wrong side. And he's like, you might be right. Yeah, I love that he's like, I love that, it, you know, that but, it's not a yes. He doesn't, He his last line is maybe. Right. Like, it's like, yeah, I might be. Yeah. Oh, well. Like, he's who Han Solo yeah. is at the beginning of of his arc. You know? Yeah. He's like, right. I don't really care who's right and wrong. I'm looking out for me. And it's so. I'm going like, to make some yeah, money. And the, chi- the kid choice, the prequel choice, the cartoon choice is that he gets redeemed. You know, but this again, this is a, a more mature, a more realistic, a more uh, uh, something that looks deeper into humans that goes, yeah, there are some people who are just like, yeah, well, OK, I think like why you, you tell them they're bad and they go, Mah. why he's why he's uh, different from Han is Han has no real gripe against the a rebellion. Han just doesn't care. And I think with uh, with Del Toro's character, he's already dis. He's already disenfranchised with the resistance and the rebellion. He sees it as just one big thing that people are making money off of. You know, so he's almost just like, I don't care. Yeah. Like, I might be on the wrong side, but like, you're all, yeah, it's, it's all, all just it's all the machine. Yeah. I just so stand outside. I think he, he's a libertarian. <laughs> Shh, quiet. Um, one thing that I think uh, that I really like that I think um, how it kind of adds to the other films, and I don't know if this is an example of the director who also who also like wrote the film. I don't know if, it, if it's an exam, it's, if it's an example of Ryan Johnson trying to stick to the rules of like of the universe, but like it really just kind of hit me that with in this film, it just kind of proves that Luke is so earnest in whatever he feels. Like in the beginning, he just wants he just wants to he just wants more, and he wants to be a part of something. And then by the end of Return of the Jedi, he's so earnest in his belief that he's a Jedi in the beginning of it, and he takes what he's doing so like seriously. And then he can redeem his father. And when he feels like he has failed, he completely is overwhelmed, and he earnestly believes that he's failed everyone. And that he's not he's not the hero that he thought that he was. Like he totally buys into that. And I think that's a key part of Luke. Having Yoda come in to like burn the tree down is genius because it's like he's like the Pope coming in to be like, We're not gonna be in the Vatican anymore. And so that that whole thing is great because of what it does to the fans who would complain, but also to Luke's like Luke falters and isn't gonna burn it down, and then Yoda's like, I'll do it. And but I think of all of that speech, which is really important, I mean, the, the Yoda speech is important in what the future is and in teaching failure. And, you know, it's like he should have said, hey, Ray, I also ran off to save somebody and it totally screwed me up. You know, like those kinds of lessons, maybe teach those. But what Yoda says to Luke that I think is so important is you always have your eyes like up on the horizon and not in front of you. That's the first time we see Luke, and that's the last time we see Luke. He looks to the horizon, and he's so focused on the bigger picture that he's never paying attention to what is in front of him. He's so worried about what's going to happen to Leia that he runs off, you know, from training with Yoda. He's so worried about who Ben is going to be that he tries to kill him maybe for a second. He's so worried about what Ren might be, you know, what Ray might be. All of these things. Luke is, Luke, oh my, oh my gosh. Luke <sighs> is just he is always focused outward and ne- and and yes he's earnest and all these things but he's not paying enough attention to what's right in front of him mm-hmm. and i think that that is such an interesting look at luke that he's not 
just bad. He's not a cranky old man. He's not whatever. He's a guy who's so obsessed with the big picture, with destiny and his place and being a Skywalker that he messes up the real one-on-one human moments that are put in front of him. Well, and in a real way, isn't this what this film does? Is that it finally says the story of the Skywalkers, it's over with. Like, it's really the end. And it, it frees Star Wars up to not have to be about them anymore. Like it really, this is why I think you kind of hit, the, I, and I've, I've thought this before, like, yeah, I don't know what does. the hell episode nine is going to be about. <laughs> like it's because it really feels like an end, you know? And I mean, it does feel like a beginning of these other things. And and that's one of the things I think like Luke really does in a way. The war yeah, has like, just begun. He, the Jedi are reborn. Yeah. And it, um, so I'm very curious to see where they go with this and, and, what happens because it uh it really did what i didn't know I, I i did not expect this from this from like this film that this was going to be the one to kind of complete the story of that and that ben is pretty much going to become the his own be- i mean i'm sorry i, I mean I'll, i don't know where kylo ren's going to go but i wouldn't be surprised if his arc now doesn't ever really involve you know, his family or his, or his legacy that is, or, or I'm sorry, or this like legacy that he's inherited. I mean, it could, cause it's such a part of like who he is, but I feel like perhaps it's either been, it's either been, it's either not important any, any like anymore, or it's been resolved and he's just like, is the bad guy. Well, and- yeah. And this is what I wanted to say as kind of like to wrap up this episode and to point us to to something. The great thing about this movie is it gives it permission. It gives the entire. So what The Force Awakens absorbed for nostalgia's sake and fan service and all that stuff, the um, The Last Jedi completely ends <laughs> metaphorically. You could say, like, the Skywalker fan, all that stuff is the tree that he's setting on fire with his movie. Maybe that's why the dominant color is red throughout the entire thing, from the movie poster to the bridge of that dreadnought to the ground, you know, all that stuff. There's just red everywhere in this movie. Um, There is this notion of you really have no clue what's coming next. And if he didn't make this movie, it would have been a lot of the same thing. And one of the reasons why I love that they reintroduced Thrawn in the Rebels universe is that it's not the Thrawn from the original three books that were written by Timothy Zahn back in the day, which is like, oh, now Thrawn is taking over the mantle. He's the heir of the Empire. Those are the first Star Wars books I ever read. He's taking over these, the heir of the Empire. He's going to... It's the Thrawn from the new books written by Timothy Zahn. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know, which is funny. But the whole point of it is it's like... Hey, here's this Thrawn character. He was the ultimate badass. But the problem with it was what happens after the fall of the Empire? Oh, a new galactic threat. And then it's the next thing. And then it's the next thing. And even though that definitely does exist for the, the, the First Order, um, it's, not, it's not done in the exact same way. And you don't know what's coming next in terms of the entire franchise. It is now free, like Luke said, it's free from the Skywalkers. Finn, you don't even know, and he doesn't even care who his parents are. They're all taken from birth or from, you know, uh, orphanages or whatever. Like, all of these people, they're all new, and there is this total sense of go on. And this is the one thing I want to point out with the Yoda thing. 
Yoda burns the tree, but they save mm-hmm. the books. Did you notice that at the yeah. end? They pull open that shelf, and there are the, the Jedi texts. So it's interesting because it's like, okay, we're, yeah, we're going to burn this symbol, but we're actually going to keep the substance yeah. of it alive. Well, and what, but what Yoda says is everything that's in those books is not something that Rey doesn't already have. What does she already have? The books. So what Yoda says is true from a certain point of view. There's nothing yep. in those books that she doesn't have because she has the books. She already has the books, and Yoda knows that. So he's like, "None of this doesn't matter. What matters is a lesson I can give Luke." I got to say one thing, one super nerdy thing about this, which is, I think it's amazing that Ray's saber form is a dark side form. Mm-hmm. It's super similar to Vader. Like it is the two hand heavy strike. Like she is not, you know, you and McGregor flip doing flips. Like, she is, like, smash, smash. Like, she's so close to the dark side. Well, that's like why... the whole time. That was one of the things from this that, like, some people think, uh, like, what you know, they were trying to project whose kid is she, that she may be, like, a clone of, of uh, Palpatine for the way that she fought. Which I thought was interesting. And so, um, like, how does this impact like star wars and it like what do you think star wars is now and because this film was so different and a unique and i think it's going to take a long time for people to really form a solid opinion on it because this film like when every time to really get anything out like out of it you have you really have uh, to wrestle with it, which is um, different from a lot of past past Star Wars films where they've had good things, but it's like the, the classic hero's tale, Greg, as you said, it's easy to project yourself on onto. Does this change at all, or does this? Like, how does this impact Star Wars' place in American pop culture? I mean, I think Star Wars is back in as a dominant force in pop culture, in that like there are a million think pieces, and um, you know, there's merch and advertising and all of that, but also it's uh, it. I think it can be something that actually turns the pop culture of art analysis or inter- whatever it is, like the, the secondary culture of art-adjacent media, things that aren't actually art but are about art, that's really sprung up. And I think Abrams actually helped create with Lost, where now we had, you know, you watch a show, then you go online to read a recap of a show you just watched from someone else who just watched it, but that person can explain it all. Like, that culture, this is the first thing that has this much pressure and attention on it that turns the other way. And so I think in terms of place in pop culture and those things, yes, it's where people start to split. Like, I think it's rare that you've seen a movie this big where people said it was good and bad and it wasn't this immediate it's one it's the other but in addition i think it it has a chance to really change our our understanding and criticism of art if we handle it the right way i think that star wars is this very interesting thing where it is i mean i really do think it's on the level of huck finn or tom sawyer in the sense that it is such it's such an american piece of mythology of of this time period like i really do believe it's the tom sawyer of our time that it says so much about um who we are as as americans we're these we're this group that like has a history where we feel like we're called to you know to greatness to us to aspire to these things 
and to really um like we believe we can save the day and we we're, we are like we are just like Luke because we want to save the day we we want to go off to bigger and and um bigger and greater things and i think this film was so interesting because it says well then what happens at the end of that when you've been through hell like what is the, like what happens when the all when the like all american hero has been through hell and at the end is a little bit broken because of that and if you look at our culture like we've been through hell we've been through a lot of heavy stuff and like what are we now and i think star wars is a, is very interesting because it's a reflection I think in some ways of us right now, just like Tom Sawyer was, it's, you know, it's like a certain, it's, it's what America was at that time. So I'm curious to see if that's, if that, uh, holds true. And if so, like 20 years, 20, 30 years from, I, I, I like, act like actually 100 years from now, when they talk about this film, how is that going to relate to American culture? Like, cannot like, how does it? How like, what is it going to? What if anything does this does this film happen to say about our time? And if you have, and it's kind of great, like tying into what like what like you just talked about. I wonder with a film like this, will Star Wars be able to maintain that? I think they I think they can because it's such a beloved thing. It's it's like a world we all we all just love. But when that world kind of pushes back a little bit, what does that look like? Like how do you how hmm? That is one thing I wondered while I was while I was watching it. I was like, are we gonna be like excited for episode seventeen? Or do we just need, like, does this thing have to just end? And then there are other, like, will my kids or grandkids be really excited to see a movie that's a spinoff of a spinoff of Star Wars and is a good movie? Or are we so, do we need to hold on to this, like, thread that it's going to be, like, coming in 2050? It's episode 21. You know, we have to keep making them episodes. Yeah. Uh, The answer is yes. I know you are looking for an answer. The answer is yes. All, yes, all <laughs> the above. We will keep making them, and we will keep loving them, and we will keep asking ourselves, I really hope they do it this way, but I need to see what they do. And then when they do it something different, it's it's just going to be a train wreck in a beautiful and wonderful way. Because in a galaxy far, far away from here, Walt Disney owns our purse strings, and they're going to keep pulling and keep milking us like a mountain yak, like a mountain like a mountain walrus that spits out blue milk. It was great. <laughs> Greedily drink milk and make eye contact. <laughs> <laughs> I heard Matt Lauer used to do that. Anywho, thank you all for listening. I gotta we go. Bye bye. Bye everyone. I'm not, not part of this. We haven't gotten to to like our final thoughts. Oh crap! Uh, listen, calm down. It's fine. This is all. This is the only thing that I want to say. I love the fact that these films that, that this film takes work and to and to real like it just demands that if you're a fan of this stuff you've got to reckon with this i think it makes the force awakens better which i already think is actually a pretty like decent film and i really honestly think that after this that after the last jedi they're finally they did what i thought was was not ever going to happen i can now 
see a Tarantino film in the Star Wars universe. Like they have given a voice to auteurs in a way that I didn't think they were going to to be able to do, both in terms of what story they told and how and what it looked like and, and how it felt. I'm very excited for that. It's the other side of so if you like have the franchise coin on one side you have Marvel and on the and on the other side you have Star Wars, which I think is fantastic. That's all I have to say about that. My favorite thing, or my final thoughts, is to me, more than anything else, I think this is a film about um, hero worship versus reality and how heroes can become idols for all of us and how when you face the real people, whether it's Luke or even the image of Darth Vader or Snoke or whoever, all these characters in the movie, Rose and her idealization of Finn, um, and how her ideal of him is instantly shattered when she sees that he has his bags there and then zaps him. But um, that the human underneath is worth spending your time getting to know and encountering. And uh, and what makes Finn a hero is that, well, one, luck. But is is that Rose is with him and goes with him and it believes in him, um, even though she's seen the, the, the lack of, the fact that's not really a god. He is not an idol. Um, he's a fallen hero in, in certain ways. Um, the same is true of Luke and all of them. And that once they embrace that, as Yoda says best, you know, you're passing on the failure. Once you realize that that failure means you can get rid of your hubris, you can have humility. All these people, right? Ray starting out an orphan on a desert planet, Luke doing the same, Anakin doing the same. It all starts in humility and then it ends with hubris. And hubris ends them. As if Luke was the sole guide of the force and the light side of the force that he had to actually kill his student in order to make that happen. Like that was hubris and instinct, not humility, which made him the great warrior that he is. And so uh, I think it's cool. I do like I do like um, I felt like he was able to get complex with the characters who are on the light and the dark side without gray. Right. We had talked about that, like that moral relativism sneaking its way into the film, being like, actually, it doesn't matter. You can be light or dark. It doesn't matter. There's two sides of the same coin. Yeah, see. And I felt like he did a good job without doing that. So, um, yeah, those are my final thoughts. My final thought is just that it's great. Something that I love so much, Star Wars, which has so many books and things that are just kind of like pop and pulp and are the Flash Gordon part, which is an important part, that it's it's fun and refreshing to have something in that universe that there is to chew on in the same way that like there's a lot of pop music or there's a lot of rock music but when you listen to quadrophenia for the first time by the who you're like wait there's something here like this has depth and i can sit and think about it and talk to my friends about like it is yes it's pop art but it's pop art that you can chew on and think about and talk about and that to me is incredibly refreshing in a world where it could have just been another cookie cutter film agree this was a damn good podcast guys like the this. last podcast <laughs> uh. if you've stayed this far with us god Bless you. Why not go Thank to our maker. Patreon page? Helps us keep us going. Patreon.com slash CF. Also, check out my Patreon page. Just give it to them, and then they'll give it to me. 
<laughs> yeah, we have a, a deal. Every time we have someone as a guest on our show, we pay them a portion of our Patreon for that month. One quarter don't worry, portion. If you've, if you've been on the show, your check is coming. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's awesome. All right, well, Star Wars now has room to grow. Most hated guest. Yeah. yeah. I'm so happy you stopped yelling halfway through the show, Greg. So happy. I, I got tired. <laughs> I did send you an all caps a message that said, Greg, calm down. Oh, just <laughs> oh, I didn't yelling. See that. Oh, damn it. Okay. Well, y'all have a good night. I have got to crash. I have hit a wall. Old Mikey G's hit a wall. You can find more of Greg Iwinski stuff. Greg Iwinski. Greg, 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 Greg Iwinski. Through Twitter at Gary Jackson.